Yeah. Yes, I'm looking forward to that, yes. That's good. Well, did you guys get my book today, or? You have to read that book, okay? Okay, we can't just look at the cover. Sheesh. Well, let's pray and see what we're going to do. Are you, like, filming me or something? Can you get my better, this is my better side right here. My left side doesn't have as many wrinkles. Okay, let's pray and see what we're going to do. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for, the, for me, for the students, yeah, and we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you brought us here to transform us. You didn't, come, you didn't bring us here to modify us. You didn't bring us here to change us. You brought us here to transform us. And uh, I pray for that process, that we would all give ourselves to that process, that we would, um, anything that's limiting us from being transformed, anything that has, that is resisting in us, being transformed, wherever there's, Whatever there's hard soil or rocky soil or birds that are eating the seed in our lives, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just shoot those birds. <laughs> well, whatever you do with birds that are eating the seed, I don't know. Where I came from, we shoot those birds. Yeah, you take the rocky soil and throw it at the whatever. That's a good ecosystem. Let me finish my prayer, please. Thank you. So, Holy Spirit, we, I hate when people preach from their prayers, but I'm doing it right now, aren't I? Okay, so I just had this picture. Now I'm going to pray after I tell you what the picture is, that the Holy Spirit was just softening our hearts, you know? Because, you know, there's only uh, one parable about bad seed. There's five parables about bad soil. So the, the question really isn't the seed. The question is, what kind of soil does the seed fall in? And it's just not about your life. It's about our life. It's my life, too. Because how many know that as soon as you stop learning, you stop growing? As soon as you stop growing, you start dying. And so the, the goal is to continually learn, right? And um, it's that, that saying I gave you the other day that, the, I can't remember what it is now, but it was really a good saying. And good students would remember it. Okay? So, um, I'm going to finish my prayer now because I'm going to pray for the soil of your heart, okay? Okay, so you just asked Jesus to make this real in your life. So, Lord, I just pray for the soil of our hearts. You guys are so serious. I'm so sorry. Father, just pray for the soil of our hearts to be soft and good soil without thorns in it and uh, that we would be good uh, cultivators of our own soil in Jesus name Amen um, we've been talking about uh, and I'm going to give you some good time for questions and answers towards the end but uh, I just want to give you just a couple of minutes of review so we can know where we picked up because you've heard several several speakers besides me um, we talked about um, the whole uh, Jacob uh, and Levin and, and spotted and speckled sheep and goats. 
sheep. I don't know why there isn't an S on sheeps. Like, like there should be sheeps and goats. The English language does not logical. That's what ticks me off. Are you with me? Yeah. So, you know, like two. How do you spell two? You know, it's just screwed up. I never know when to use what. Well, I use them all. I just use T-W-O, and then if I use that one too much, then I use T-O-O, and then T-O. <laughs> so that I mix, I just, you know, people know that I know the, all the different spellings. <laughs> I love you too, T-W-O. Because you never know how many there are of them. So... And by the way, I want to just like dispel the rumor that I can't type. I can type. And I use all my fingers. Like I use these couple of fingers, then they get tired, then I use these over here. Because <laughs> you don't want to wear out, like I used to do this, but then you get writer's cramp. So now I do this and this and this and you got so I can type pretty well actually. So anyway, what, why was I talking about that? I don't think it had anything to do with anything, did it? Sheeps. That's why. Sheeps. Yeah, don't you think it should be sheeps? If it's goats, why should it not be sheeps? Because it's too close to a dirty word. That's why we don't use that word sheeps. So that's, that's what I think. I think there are prejudice in some of our... Anyway, let's move on, okay? So we talked about the goats and sheep. And now <laughs> I need to get into some sort of serious mood because right now all I want to do is just clown around. You probably didn't pay $3,600 to hear me clown around. Um, so Jacob... <laughs> Then we talked about how Jacob wrestled with the angel. Would you guys shut up? We have people in other schools watching us right now behave totally irreverently. So we talked about how Jacob wrestled with the angel and got a name change. All right, thank you. And all you from the other two schools? All right, yeah, good, okay. So we're on the same page here. Thank you very much. Um, we talked about the fact that he wrestled with the angel and he got a name change, and we talked about what it's like to live under an alias name. And that God gave us, God gives us a name that, in, in, that enhances who we are and explains who we are. And that the worst title that you can take on as a Christian is that you are a sinner. I don't know if I, if I actually made that clear yesterday, but in case I didn't, like the whole, where I was going with the whole name, alias name thing, is that, that you are not a sinner. And if you take on the name sinner, you, obviously you were a sinner, so for all of you that need me to keep saying that so you can not leave your roots, that's okay. But you're no longer a sinner when you receive Jesus, you became a saint. And the, and the reason why that's so important is, obviously, if you take on the name sinner, if you say, I am, I am a sinner, like you say, I am an, alcohol, an alcoholic, then the truth is, is that you see yourself as a sinner, and you will always try to act out who you think you are. Did I make that clear yesterday? 
So, so when, when you say, I'm not, if you say, I've sinned, that, that's all right, that's good. Okay, I sin. But once you say, I'm a sinner, and you make it your identity, then you will spend your days trying to not do your be. That's what I was trying to say. So it's very important that you deal with this issue. Am I a sinner? I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint. And I didn't make me that. Jesus did. And we, we spent a lot of time on that yesterday, that Jesus made me a saint. I didn't make myself a saint. In fact, I didn't get saved by my works, but I got saved by His. So I can't, get, I can't take credit for the transformation of my life because all I did is say yes. So there's no arrogance in saying I'm a saint because I didn't make me a saint. He made me a saint. Okay, so, so it, 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 I have to leave the mentality that I'm a sinner because... Can somebody get me some water, please? Well, never mind, I'm just going to drink it by faith. I sure like the real thing better. Anyway, so let's move on. So you will always reproduce the kingdom around you that that you believe that you have within you. And so it's really important that who who God says you are, that who God says you are, remember, you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. And if that's God, then it's really important that we understand what God thinks of us what he really thinks of us, because otherwise, and the reason why we need to be transformed is because we are born deformed. I had a dream some years ago, I think about two years ago, and in this dream I saw this, uh, these children, and it was kind of like, I don't know if it's like a daycare center or like a, a, a small orphanage, but my wife and I went into this, this, uh, this daycare center with all these children, and the children were really acting odd. It wasn't that they were misbehaving. They were acting strange. And so I picked up one of the children, one of the, a, a young little boy, maybe two years old. I picked him up as, as to you know, hold him and comfort him. And when I did in the dream, I, I went to pat his head, you know, like you would normally just like, oh, Johnny, he's so cute, you know. And when I went to pat his head, I, in the dream, I could feel that there, there was a big a crevice in his head, like a chasm in his head. So in the dream, I put him down and I looked and I could see into his brain. And his brain was deformed. And so, thank you very much. May all your camels prosper. I was going to say something else, but when I processed it, it didn't sound very funny. So, so, in the, so in the dream, I put him down, and I, I look, in this, and his brain is deformed. And in the dream, this voice says to me, "Do you know who these who these children are?" And in the dream, I say, "Yes, these are the children of God. These are the children of God." And and in the dream, this voice says, "Did you do you do you see that their feet are fine?" that their feet are fine, that their feet are fully formed. I said, yes. And he says, yes, they'll go anywhere I tell them to go. Did you see that their hands were fully formed? I said, yes. He said, yes, they'll do anything I tell them to do. He says, what did you see that was wrong? I said, it was their brain. He said, that's why they need to be transformed by the renewing of their mind, because they were born again into a culture where it deformed them. 
So the body of Christ serves well, goes, do, does what God says. In other words, we're great slaves, but the, but the Father wants sons. The Father's looking for sons. You know, the, the truth is, is that we were born into this great romance, into this universe. The word universe means one song. How many of you know that we're in this dance with the Lord? And He's making a move on us. As I said Sunday night, what if the next move is ours? He's looking for a bride. He's not looking for a slave girl. He's looking for a Proverbs 31 woman who can go out and consider a field and buy it. Are you getting this? He's looking for someone who can think. <laughs> okay. You know, um, when Jesus died on the cross, where, where did he die? What was the name of the place he died? Did we already do this? Did, we, did I tell you this already? He died where? And what does Golgotha mean? The skull. Why did he die at the skull? When Jesus died, what did he have on his head? A crown of what? Why was it a crown of thorns? Remember when, when, when uh, Adam and Eve fell, what was the curse over woman? The curse over woman is you're going to give, you're going to give, you're going to give birth in pain. Oh. That was really bad. But anyway, you're going to have pain in childbirth, right? And your, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. How many of you know that was part of the curse? Okay. And all the guys were like, oh, please, I'm married. Do not do anything to empower this woman. What was the curse over the serpent? He's going to eat the dust of the earth. But what was the curse over man? You will, that you will till the field, but it will yield thorns and thistles. So why did Jesus wear a crown of thorns? Because he was crucifying that way of thinking. What is that way of thinking? Why did he die on the place called the skull? He died at the place called the skull because he's the head of the church. Are you following me? And he wore a crown of thorns because he's crucified in that way of thinking. What, what way of thinking am I talking about? Where you do the right thing, but the wrong thing still happens. See, a curse is, I do the, see, a curse means I can do the right thing, but the wrong thing still happens. And Jesus is breaking the curse. How many of you know that when we received Jesus Christ, we came out of the curse? You've got to get this. Do you know there's three levels of life? There's curses. I just explained to you what a curse is. You can do the right thing, but the wrong thing still happens. There's sowing and reaping. That's a step up because that means you actually get what you planted. But how many know the highest level of life is called blessing or inheritance? It means you get what someone else worked for. Remember the birds of the air, Matthew 6? They don't sow, nor do they reap, but the Father takes better care of them than Solomon. Right? What I'm getting at is this, is that we're moving... See. First of all, when we received Christ, we moved out of curses and we moved into sowing and reaping. But how many of you know that we, when we move from slavery to friendship, we move out of sowing and reaping into inheritance? Are you following me? When Jesus died on the cross in John chapter 20 and he rose from the dead, 
It says that there was two cloths that covered his body. This is John chapter 20. There was two cloths that covered his body, right? You'll notice when he rose from the dead that the cloth that covered his head was folded up and put, it, and put someplace else. But the cloth that covered his body remained in the same place. Why? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the head was revealed. But the body has yet to be revealed. And what was Romans 8? We ended with this yesterday. What is Romans 8 crying out for? That the sons of God would be revealed. Are you following me? When John the Baptist was executed, how was John the Baptist executed? He was beheaded. Why wasn't he crucified? Because the, the, real, the way that the Romans executed people in the days of Christ, in the days of John the Baptist, was crucifixion. In fact, you'll notice they even crucified thieves. It was two thieves who were on Jesus' left and right. Why was John the Baptist, why was he beheaded instead of crucified? Because he was the last... Remember, Jesus said that the law and the prophets were, were proclaimed until John... So how many of you know that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets? So why did John lose his head? Because he was the last of the old covenant prophets and he lost his head as a prophetic sign of that way of thinking was over. Now the goal for you is to have the mind of Christ. <laughs> okay, so why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In fact, we'll just start from verse 1. I'll give you a minute to get there. You'll want to probably get a New American Standard Bible, New American Standard 95 Bible. That is the anointed version. If you have anything else, it is less than anointed. Until the new Chris Bellaton alpha, alphabetical Bible comes out, this is the best Bible yet. Okay, verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, this is Paul speaking to the, the church at Corinth, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing except... Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. How many of you have ever had that condition? Weakness, fear, or much trembling. You can walk them to the Apostle Club, right? And my messages and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Everybody just say, get a big Selah. You know what Selah means? It means stop and think about it. That's pretty powerful right there, right? Look at the next verse. So we have a whole bunch of people walking around going, I move in the power of God, but I'm stupid. Well, stupid's overrated. Verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, 
nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our what? Let's go back to verse 7. But we do speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age was understood. For if they would have understood it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9. But just as is written. Now, look down at your Bible right now and tell me, is the rest of verse 9 italicized? It should be italicized. And the reason why it's italicized is because it's a quote from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And here's what the Old Testament writer wrote. Things which eye has not seen. Everybody say things. Things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, it should be the end of the italicized part. Is that true in your Bible? Okay, because... The Old Testament prophet said, Things which eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, which have not entered the heart of man, those things God has provided for those who love Him. Are you with me? The next verse says, But to us God has revealed them through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Everybody say things. Even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except for the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except for the Spirit of God. So nobody knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Are you with me? Just like no one knows the thoughts of a man except for the Spirit of a man, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Because the Old Testament prophet said, Things which eye has not seen, which ear has not heard, which has not entered our hearts, those things God's prepared for us. And Paul says, those things that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, those things that the Old Testament prophets, that they looked ahead and they didn't know the things of God, they've been revealed to us by His Spirit. Then he goes on to explain what he's talking about. He goes, you know how your spirit knows your thoughts? Your human spirit knows your thoughts? No one knows your thoughts but your spirit? He goes, well, no one knows God's thoughts except for God's Spirit. Now... Then he goes on to say, and we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. In other words, how do we know God's thoughts? Because we have God's spirit that knows God's thoughts. <laughs> You've got to get this. It's getting better. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except for the spirit of the man who's in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except for the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may what? that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We're moving on. Which, verse 13, which, come on, look down at your Bible, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Verse 14, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But we, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is not appraised by, I'm sorry, he himself is appraised by no one. Now look at this verse. Verse 16 should be italicized. The first part of the verse is italicized. Is that true? Okay, it's because the Old Testament prophet says these words. For who knows the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who knows the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And Paul answers, we have the mind of Christ. 
The Old Testament guy goes, who can know God's thoughts? Paul goes, we can. He said, the Old Testament prophet said, things which eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't entered the heart of man. All those things God has prepared for those who love Him. The Old Testament prophet says, we don't know what they are. We just know He has things prepared for us. And Paul goes, well, we know what they are because we have the Spirit of God who knows the mind of God. The Old Testament prophet says, who knows the mind of the Lord that He can instruct God? And Paul goes, we can. We have the mind of the Lord. People quote this all the time. You know, God just wants to give us things eye hasn't seen, things ear hasn't heard. Listen, that way of thinking lost its head. The people who thought like that lost their head. That is not you. You have the Spirit of God. You know the things of God. I just want to know the will of God. Have a think. I want to know what God wants me to do. What are you thinking? I'm thinking I want to know what God wants me to do. No. What are you thinking? I don't know. I'm just thinking that I would like to be in business. Well, that's what God wants you to do. How do you know that? Because you got a brain transplant when you received Christ. You're saying all my thoughts are God's thoughts? No, I'm saying when you're right with God, your thoughts are His thoughts. Your thoughts and His thoughts are interchangeable. You have the mind of Christ. You know, I love this woman. She's beautiful and, 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 and she loves God. And I just want to know if I'm supposed to marry her. You mean that, that woman who came to school ministry for two years that... She totally rocks? Yeah. What's the problem? I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what the will of God is for my life. So, what's your point? I just told you. I want to know what God wants. You mean that woman who loves God more than you do? Who came to school of ministry? Yes, who graduated, top of the class, beautiful, anointed. Yes, I just want to know what God wants. Does she love you? Yes. Do you love her? Yes. It's the will of God. How do you know? You're thinking it. How do I know it's not the devil? The devil would have you attracted to someone who would take you to hell. Not someone you could co-reign with to synergize and transform the world. Well, it could be my flesh. Well, just go in the baptismal tank, have them dunk you one more time, and keep you under till the last bubble, and we'll make sure that that argument's taken care of. We'll have this idea like the will of God's like very mysterious. And it's like, if it's really God, you won't like it. Right? All of us older folks who have been Christians for a long time, come on, come on. If you've been, you're 50 years or older. You're with me, right? It's like, it's all about sacrifice. So if it's something you really love, it isn't God. Because the will of God is like medicine. If it's really good for you, it'll just about kill you before it kills whatever it is you got. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's right. You younger people, I'm glad you don't know what I'm talking about. You're just ignorant in a good way. But I want to propose to you that you think like God. 
unless you don't. It's your nature to think like God. You when listen, Now I will translate. You see how I have the tongue? And now I will interpret. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel prophesied, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone and give you, uh, and give you flesh and give, your heart, give you a heart of flesh. What? Just calm down. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, that part's right, and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. There you go. And give you a heart of flesh. That was a prophecy from an Old Testament prophet looking into the New Covenant. And he said, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new mind. That's who you are. I told you yesterday that there's a difference between a prophetic act and, and, a, and a symbolic act. Remember that? We talked about baptism. Okay, and I told you that communion is a symbolic act. A symbolic act is like what happened when they crossed the Red, the Red Sea and they set up stones. Remember that? They crossed the River Jordan and they set up stones. And why did they set up stones? So that when your sons ask you, why are those stones set up? You can tell them about the works of God. So why do you take communion? Well, there's lots of reasons why you take communion, but the main reason is so you'll remember. Why do I have to remember? So that you'll remember what side of the cross you live on. You don't live on that side of the cross anymore. You're not somebody that has an evil heart. You know, my heart is exceedingly wicked and no one could know it. No, Isaiah said that because he lived in the Old Covenant. These, you got a new heart and a new mind. That's why the least in the kingdom is greater than John, who was the greatest prophet of all the Old Covenant. So the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Why? Because John did not have inherently... A divine, the divine nature. You have what the Old Testament people did not have. Now they probably have it now that they're in heaven, but they didn't have it on earth. You have a new mind. You have a new heart. You are not a sinner. They were sinners who were having a relationship with God. You are not a sinner that's having a relationship with God. You were a sinner, and when you got received Jesus, you became a saint. And when you became a saint, you, began to, you got a new heart, a new mind, and you became a whole new creation. That's why you can be the least in the kingdom and you're still going to be greater than anyone who ever lived in the Old Covenant. Moses, great man. Oh, I'd love to be like Moses. No, you wouldn't because then you would still be struggling with sin nature. Oh, I I would love to be like Elijah. No, you don't want to be like Elijah because you'd be struggling with a sin nature. I'd love to be like David. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Even the man after God's heart struggled with the sin nature. When Jesus died on the cross. He didn't just die because you were sent. He died to restore you to the, to the glory you fell short of in the garden. And then he put his spirit in you. Adam didn't even have his spirit in didn't didn't have God's spirit within him. You have an advantage over Adam. That's why he didn't just return you to the garden. He didn't just go, "Okay, you know what? Let's start over." Okay. Okay, here's a new garden, here's a new Adam, here's a new Eve. Okay, you can wear the latest clothes and stay in the garden. No, he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Whenever God restores, he restores you to a higher place than when you fell. Those of you that have fallen before, you're in this room today. You're like, 
be reassured that you are not back to zero. When God restores you, when God rebuilds the house, He builds it twice as big. When they tore down Solomon's temple, when God rebuilt it, He built it twice the size it was in the first, the first temple was. When God rebuilds you, he, does, he, does, he, he, he doesn't just take you back to where you were, He doubles you. Are, are you following me? So you don't want to be, I wish I was, you know, whoever your favorite guy is in the Old Testament. No, you don't want to be those people because the least, the very least in the kingdom is greater than anybody who ever lived in the Old Covenant. You read those Old Testament stories about David, you're like, oh man, I'd like to be like David. I'd like to be like one of the mighty men of David. Why would you want to go back to that when you could be you? Let's, get, let's, just, let's just use worst case scenario. Let's say... Because Jesus, always, Jesus often made the statement, from the least to the greatest. So how many you know that God loves everyone the same, but He favors people differently? And that even Jesus had to grow in favor with God and man. So God favors people differently. And Jesus often said, from the least to the greatest, so there are least and greatest. Let's just use a scale just for a metaphor and say, the least is, zero, uh, is one and greatest is a hundred. Let's say that you're one. You're one in the kingdom. You are like the lowest in the kingdom. You are a low-life kingdom person. <laughs> That's hard to think. Like, I don't think there is such thing, but I just thought I'd be funny. The lowest person in the life of the kingdom. That's a good way to say it, right? You could accept that. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe we found the lowest person in the kingdom actually got into the school of ministry. It's possible. Or it could be the person teaching you right now. It's more likely that because Paul said the, the members that seem more seemly are actually weaker. Which, remember, Bill's in charge. We don't want to repeat that. Take that off the DVD. Okay, so here's the point. So you're, you're number one. You're like the lowest person in the kingdom. Somehow you managed to get in here. The number 100 in the Old Covenant, starts way below you. you. Not because you did anything. You didn't do anything. It's what Jesus did. See, you don't appreciate it because you don't live on that side of the cross. Like, you don't appreciate you like, oh, you know, we got it so hard. Ah, you know what? Go to India, Calcutta, and tell me how hard you have it. Tell me about your worst day. Walk down the streets of Calcutta where you, there's people, dead people, laying in the gutters, and then tell me about the poverty that you've experienced. Go into some of the deep, darkest places of Mozambique and look at people that are, you know, their bones are sticking out of their skin. They have nothing to live for. They're covered in flies. And tell me about the struggles you have with poverty. See, you haven't been on the other side. You, didn't, you, you, you were born in, in a new covenant. Like, you, you were alive after Jesus died on the cross. So you don't have any idea what it's like to have a bad day. Because the Holy Spirit's been released on the earth and the Holy Spirit's been helping the earth since Jesus died on the cross. You don't know what it's like to live spiritless. Because you've had Him your whole life. I don't mean He was in you, but He was around you your whole life and trying to woo you. And because Jesus paid for sin, the Holy Spirit was released to bring mercy and, and compassion. You don't know what it's like to live in a world without that. 
take Afghanistan before the Americans got there and be a woman and put that on steroids. And you have a little idea of what it was like to live on the other side of the cross. So you don't want to be your Old Testament hero because if you were the least in here, you're still greater than them. And then think about what that means. If they did great exploits, think about what you could do. Think about what you could accomplish. No, you're not even getting this. Think about the greatest hero in the Old Testament. You're greater than them. I didn't say that Jesus did. Think about what if. Think about what David accomplished in his life. And he didn't even have consistently the Holy Spirit inside of him. He wasn't born again. He, he is now. I'm just trying to say, like, what is your problem? What do you think your problem is? You're like, well, you know, I was born the wrong what? The wrong what? Shape, color, size, gender. You know, everybody wants to be somebody else. So whatever it is. Right? Why are you staring at me like that? Well, I'm the best me I can be. And if you were me, you'd just be a copy of the original. I'd much, much rather be the original than the copy of somebody else. I spent the first three years here trying to be Bill. I even did this. Good work. Are you here today? I did all that. And I think it was the second or third year. I'm sitting in the front row after I got done preaching, and I did my best bill invitation. And I'm sitting in the front row, and the Holy Spirit says to me, If I wanted two bills, I'd made another one. He didn't even have a twin. He said, do me a favor and stop acting like someone else and be yourself. I said, this is what I said to the Lord. This is, a true, this is true interaction. I said, people won't like me for who I am. He said, I will. The connotation is, I don't like who you are right now because you're being someone else. Just be you. You know, when I first started preaching, this is a true story, and some, some of our staff may have been here long enough to remember this. You know, um, this uh, pulpit's always been filled with great preachers for a long time. Like Ray Larson, who preceded Bill Johnson, was an amazing preacher. Very powerful preacher. And then, of course, you know Bill. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. World-class, famous preacher, right? And, and Bill's really, really funny right now. But Bill wasn't always funny. <laughs> you can tell him I said that. I think that's part of my anointing got on him. So when I would get up to preach the first year, I would be funny because I'm, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm very funny. I like, I crack myself up. <laughs> and I would get emails from people and notes in my box, anonymous notes that, that said stuff like, you are polluting the pulpit. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. That's not what I said, though. 
<laughs> you are decimating the sacred. All we get notes like this. You're decimating the sacred with your humor. And so this is about a year. I was here about a year, and I was like, wow, you know. So one day, have I told you this story? Okay, so one day this, this lady comes up to me, and she says, I have, a, I have a prophetic word for you. I'm like, okay. She goes, oh, I'm really afraid to give it to you. People are always afraid to give me prophetic. I don't know why. She goes, I'm afraid to give it to you. I said, okay, we'll just give it to you. And she goes, oh, you know, it's kind of dumb. I said, just, can you just please give it to me? She's like, oh, really? I just said, can you just give me the prophetic word? She said, all right, here's the word. The Lord thinks you're funny. The Lord thinks you're funny. And he comes to hear your preaching because it makes him laugh. That's she said. No, she had no idea what I was going through. She had no idea that that was, the, at, this, at the time, that was the most profound prophetic word I had received. She had no idea that, that I was going through this war of like, okay, I've got to try to be serious. I've got to try to be like, Bill. Well, of course, Bill's funny now. But in those days, he was more serious. And, and, and you know, his revelatory, it was, his revelatory gift was like it is now. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be funny right now. I'm just trying to describe like what it's like to try to be somebody else. And... Uh, and it just released me. It was like the Lord saying, I, I, I like your humor. Like, I don't want you to hurt people with it. I don't want you to be sarcastic with people. That, that, that's not good. But I like that you're funny. Like, I made you that way. Please, please just be you. Please stop trying to be someone else. How many know that we, we need to fall in love with ourselves? I, I know. I know. I know you don't like that, right? I understand. I, I, as soon as I say that, people... <gasps> My goodness. Because you know, we say, it, that person's just in love with himself. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> awesome, because you can't love others until you love yourself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. You can't love other people till you love you. Well, I just don't want to be arrogant. You're just being stupid. I'm being stupid by not falling in love with myself. You're not falling in love with the person Jesus made. If you're a self-made man, don't fall in love with yourself. Because then you'd be arrogant. I'm a self-made man. I did it my way. Well, that guy's dead. How'd that work out for him? If you're a self-made man and you're in love with yourself, you're arrogant. But if you're a God-made man, you're just intelligent. To love you, a self-made woman, as a female. Just be careful how you say it these days. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you guys are so intense. You made me laugh. I'm so sorry. I'm just... <laughs> Okay, so that was good. Second <laughs> Corinthians 3.18 But we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord the Spirit. Let me read it to you again. It's Second Corinthians 3.18 But we, oh, but we all, <laughs> that's Texas. How's oh, the Texan wrote this? But we all, 
Oyo, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying when you get done, you're going to look like Jesus. And you're going to have glory on you. Because you were born for glory. You're like, do you have another message? No, I do not right now. (laughs) Romans 8. Why don't you turn there? How many of you have ever read, or how many of you have ever repeated Romans 8.28, For we know that God causes, come on, all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called to what? According to His purposes. How many, when life sucks, how many of you have ever quote that verse and you're like, you know what, this is a thing, it's an all thing, so somehow God's going to work this out for good because I love God, He loves me, and this is an all thing, so... This sucky thing is somehow going to turn out for good. How many of you have ever just... You just quote that verse in a really hard time. I've quoted that verse hundreds of times. I go through something hard and I go, Well, this is a thing, and it's an all. I don't like it, but somehow it's going to work out for good. Right? Have you ever wondered why all things work together for good? Have you ever said, I wonder why all things work together for good? Well, look at the next verse. The next verse is verse 29, and it says, For those whom He foreknew, everybody say foreknew, He also predestined, everybody say predestined, to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that we be the firstborn of many brethren. And those whom He predestined, everybody say predestined, He also called, everybody say called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's interesting. Why do all things work together for good? Because whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he what? He glorified. Why does all things work together for good? Because God created you for glory. He made you to rock. When did he do that? When he predestined you. You're like, what the heck? You're like, you mean I didn't have any choice like God just chose me and and then other people he didn't choose no 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 it says those whom he foreknew he predestined what are you saying i don't get it well i'm saying this that when god said let there be light in genesis 1 4 and he separated the light from the darkness and he called it a day i want to propose to you that god was creating time because god didn't create the sun and the moon for four more verses It's just like God to create day and night and not use the moon and the sun. So I want to propose to you that God created the the sun and the moon at a different time than He created day and night and called it a day. He separated the day from the night and called it a day. Because God in Genesis 1 was not just creating planets, He was creating a dimension. A dimension we call time. God doesn't live in time. Time is like a big train in God's world. He can get on at the beginning, the engine, or at the caboose, at the end of time. See, a lot of us think that Jesus died about, what, 2,000 years ago-ish? 
But the Bible says, uh, Revelations 13, the Lamb who was crucified from the foundation of the world. Isn't that interesting? You're like, wait a second, wait a second. What are you saying? I'm saying that Jesus was crucified before the world was ever made. God is always previous. God always starts from the end and works backwards. In in Jeremiah chapter 1, God says to Jeremiah, Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you as a prophet to the nations. Wait a second. I heard someone teach in our church not long ago. And they said, you know, they read that verse and they go, We were spirits with God before we were in our bodies. (laughs) No, No, you weren't. No, you weren't. What, the, way, the reason why God knew Jeremiah before he was conceived is because God went to the place where Jeremiah would be conceived and he met him. See, it, you think you got saved, like I got saved in 1973, so he says, I received Jesus in 1973. Ephesians 1 says, and you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So I didn't have a choice. God chose me. No, it says whom he foreknew, he predestined. What's that mean? It means in 1973, a young man that was very broken, 18 years old, found Jesus. And I said, I received Jesus. And Jesus said, yes, I chose you before you chose me. He go, how could you do that? You, you, you didn't give me a chance. I have no free will. He goes, yeah, I knew you would choose me. How did you know you would choose? How did, Jesus, how did you know I, cho- I, would, I would choose you? Because I went to 1973 before I created the world and I saw you choose me. So I chose you first. God doesn't live inside of time. God lives in the timeless zone. God created time. See, in God's world, it's already over. Okay, it gets worse. Jesus died on the cross. Can everyone agree with that? Very good. We're all Christians then, aren't we? How many days was Jesus dead? Three. Are you sure? You're right. He was dead three days. He was dead three days, and the Bible says that he went into Sheol. That he went down into Sheol, and he took all the captives captive, and he sent it on high. Okay, now, let me just explain a little bit. Sheol is not hell. Sheol means the place of the living dead. It's like eternal Halloween. And inside of Sheol, you guys are starting to loosen up a little bit. That's good. Inside of Sheol is two compartments. There's Hades, which is not hell. It's the holding place for hell. And there's Abraham's bosom, where all the righteous were waiting for redemption. Are you with me? And there's a chasm in between. Remember Lot and the rich man? The story of Lot and the rich man. They could see each other. Okay, so Jesus went down into Sheol, into Abraham's bosom, and he took all the captives. Wouldn't you love to have such an awesome bosom that the Lord named the righteous place after it? I don't even know what a bosom is, but Abraham must have had a good one. But anyway, so the Bible says that Jesus went down into Sheol. It's in the Bible, man. I didn't make this up. He went... He went down, listen, do not picture this, just, just flow with me, alright? Jesus went down into Sheol, and he took all the captives captive, and he ascended on high. Now, that's, 
that's not subjective. That's the Bible, okay? So he took the people who were in who were in Abraham's bosom, and he took them to heaven. Are you with me? And now, okay, from here, this is Chris's opinion. Say this is Chris's opinion. Do not write me emails about this, okay? Do not. I don't want your opinion about this. I like mine, and I'm keeping it. I have this thought. You know when Jesus, he rose from the dead? He comes out of the ground, and he comes out of the grave, and, he, and who's at his grave? Mary. And Mary thinks he's the what? Gardener. And so she says to the gardener, thinking he's the gardener, where did you leave his body? I want his body. I'll take it. And what does, she, what does he say? Come on. He said what? Mary. And when he said, come on, just one word, Mary. Shush. Guys, aren't scholars here, are you? So he says Mary. And when he says Mary, what does she do? She grabs him. And then he says, do not touch me, for I have yet to ascend to my father and to your father. But eight days later, he walks through the wall, and Thomas is saying, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead unless I put my finger in here and I touch him here. And Jesus walks through the wall, and he goes, Thomas, touch me. But he says to Mary, don't touch me. Okay, I want to propose to you that, he, that Mary catches him on the way up. And I want to propose to you that it says that, no, this part, this is not subjective. The Bible says that many saints walked the earth when Jesus rose from the dead. I have, a, I have an idea why. Because I think she interrupted the sovereign plan of God when he comes out of the grave and all the saints are with him, that he catches Mary. And you know how women like details. And I have a sense that she has this conversation with them, and the, that's why the saints... But you know what? Jesus is talking to Mary. We'll be back. <laughs> now, just, just a thought. But here's, the, here's where I'm going with this. How many know that when Jesus went... From, when he died, he was dead three days. Three earth days. But he went into Sheol. And Sheol is the... Is, lives in the spirit world, and the spirit world does not live in time. Are you following me? So he went from a time zone, three days, to a timeless zone. And when he went into a timeless zone, and he got all the captives, and he took them captive, all the people who were in Abraham's bosom, and he rose from the dead, and he took them to heaven, I want to propose you were there. They go, no, 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 I wasn't born yet. In his world, you already were. That's why it says that you were seated in heavenly places with Christ. When did you get seated? When he rose from the grave, he took all the righteous and he seated you in heavenly places. You're like, no, we're positionally in heaven. No, no, listen. When that scripture, I am seated in heavenly places with Christ... When it moves from a philosophy and a theology to a reality, it'll change your destiny. I want to propose to you that you're the first creature that God ever created that lives simultaneously in two dimensions. That you live in heaven and on earth simultaneously. The question is, do you live from earth towards heaven or from heaven towards earth? That's the two choices you make. I think that theologians 
How many know the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? And through theologians, it became just words again. (laughs) The Word became flesh. John 1, and dwelt among us. And through theologians, the flesh became just words again. Something to believe, a great philosophy. I want to propose to you when Jesus said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God's what's God's, that he literally meant that you have responsibility in two worlds because you have dual citizenship. People are like, my citizenship is in heaven. Well, Paul argued in, in the book of Acts that, his, that he was a Roman citizen. But he's also the one who said that his citizenship was in heaven. So is he a Roman citizen or is he a citizen in heaven? I want to propose to you that he is both. That when, you're, when, you're, when you think your citizenship is just in heaven, then you don't take responsibility for what's happening to the earth. And Jesus said, bring heaven to earth. But if you, take, if, you, if you don't know that you're a heavenly citizen and you think you're only an earthly citizen, then you become, you become a subculture to a more powerful culture. You weren't supposed to be a subculture. You were supposed to be the head and not the butt. Tail. Tail. The original Greek Hebrew word was tail. If you're an animal, you have a tail. But if you were a human, you would have a butt. How many know the Bible says all of us like sheep have went astray? You know how sheep go astray? (laughs) Sheep go astray by watching someone else's rump and just thinking there's got to be a shepherd up there somewhere. Some people, rump watching has got to be like some kind of a pastime wandered away from the shepherd don't even know there's no shepherd there everyone following everyone else parrots mocking something they don't even understand people repeating things they never got repeating philosophies and theologies that no one's ever lived out just following each other's butts there must be a shepherd up there somewhere You have the mind of Christ. Think. Don't just follow like sheep. Think. Like saints. <laughs> well, Jesus is my shepherd. If you haven't seen him in a long time, you're following someone else's butt. <laughs> Rear in. Whatever word is okay for you. Tail, backside. I was trying to smooth it out so some of you wouldn't be offended, but that's too late. So Jesus goes into Sheol. It takes all the captives captives. And how many of you know that when, you, when Jesus goes from a timeless time zone to a timeless zone, He takes all the captives captive and He ascends into heaven that you were there. 
That you're literally seated. You're literally, you're literally seated in heavenly places with Christ. It's not a metaphor. It's not. It's not. It's not positionally seated. You're literally seated with Christ in heavenly places. Literally seated with Christ in heavenly places. Your spirit man is not limited by time. Your spirit man lives in the timeless zone. There's a whole piece of you that is not limited by time and space. Have you ever fell asleep and had a dream? Let's just get some agreement here. Okay, you had a dream. Have you ever had a dream where you felt like you were in a war or in a battle? And you woke up in the morning and you slept really well, but you were exhausted. I want to propose to you that you probably were. That while your soul slept, your, the spirit world doesn't sleep. And so while your soul slept, your spirit had an adventure that you think of as a dream, but it was really an experience. If you go back and read all of the dreams that people had in the Old Testament and New Testament, just read them all. I have done this. Just, look, just put in your computer program the word dream and dreams. And what you're going to find out is there's two kinds of dreams. There's reality dreams and there are virtual reality dreams. Virtual reality dreams are the kind of dreams that you think that you're having. But reality dreams are when you actually have an encounter with, with a heavenly being or an encounter with the spirit world and you wake up in the morning thinking of it as a dream. But it's really happening. And if you read about dreams in the Old and New Testament, you're going to find out that most of what they call dreams were actually encounters with God. It says that, in, in fact, if you read, um, I think it's uh, Genesis chapter, it could be Genesis 18. Don't, don't look it up because I don't want to be wrong. I'll look it up later and tell you. It's a story of about Abinelech, King Abinelech, when he took Sarah and because, because Abraham said she was his sister. Do you remember this? And it said, and God came to Abinelech in a dream. It did not say that he, got, that he dreamt of God. It says God came to Abinelech in a dream. And God said, you have the man's wife. And in the dream, Abinelech says, I thought it was his sister. And God goes, it's not his sister, it's his wife. And if you don't give her back, you're dead. They're having an interaction in the dream. This is not virtual reality. This is a man whose soul has fallen asleep and his spirit is talking to God. If you read the story about Joseph and Mary, it says that an angel from the Lord came to Joseph in a dream and said, get out of here. He didn't dream of an angel. The Lord sent an angel to Joseph while he was asleep. His spirit was awake, but his soul was asleep. <laughs> That's a good word right there. Did you get that? You live in a dimension you're not even aware of. It's the reason why I only believe in Christian counselors. I think a secular counselor can tell you what's wrong with you. But a secular counselor is, is, is relegated to time and space. But you are not. You are a new creation. New, never before created. You are a creature that has graced this planet that has never before been created. You are a species of creature that has never before been created. That's why Peter said you're strangers and aliens. He was trying to acknowledge the fact that this creature that is walking this planet has never before been created. There's never been a creature on the planet like you besides Jesus. 
You have supernatural... See, you are naturally supernatural. It is not normal for you to not be supernatural. Well, like I have a friend who is a whatever, and he doesn't believe in the supernatural. Well, he's unaware that he lives in two dimensions, and so he lives from earth and prays to heaven. We're not supposed to just pray to God. We're supposed to pray with God. So listen, it's important to be spirit-led. I don't want to underestimate being spirit-led because Romans 6 and 7 says, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not a child of God. That's <laughs> kind of important. But how many of you know not only are you spirit-led, but you also have the mind of Christ? So not only are you, not only are you being led by the Spirit, you also think like God. Okay, well, let's see if I can mess you up more than that. Maybe I should tell you a story. That would help. Or make it worse. The first year I came here, I was preaching on a Sunday night. The first time I'd ever preached at Bethel Church was on a Sunday night. And the year before I came to Bethel Church, I wrote in my journal that one of my five years five year goals was to preach at Bethel Church. The year before I came to Bethel, and then my my wife reminds me all the time that your dreams have come true. So I was preaching, and it was really good. <laughs> By the way, I don't always think my preaching is really good. In case you think I do, I joke a lot, but I often leave thinking, ah. Wish I would have had that to do over again. How many of you have ever liked to do something over again? I certainly do. I have, to be frank, I have lots of those times where I like, ah, that sort of sucked. I wish I had that to do over again. Wish I would have been more prepared or whatever, you know. But, but this is my first time, and it went really well. And so when I got done preaching, I started prophesying over people. And I was calling people out. And Man, it was really, I was really on fire. <laughs> I was doing so good. I was calling these people out and giving them words, and people were crying and falling down, you know. I don't even care if I get it right. As long as someone cries, just <laughs> makes you feel good. So if I give you a word and you cry, I'll probably give you another one later. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I, that, that part I'm joking about. But it was really a good night. I called about 10 or 12 people out, and I gave them prophetic words, and it really was a good night, joking aside. And the last word I gave was a lady. She was sitting on the very back, way back there, like almost where the, the um, sound booth is. And I, and I had her stand up, and I gave her this word. Now, I honestly don't remember the word. But it was something like, you're the queen of the world, you're the you know, beautiful princess, you're going to be a multi-quatrillionaire. You know, it was just like some amazing word, right? It was just like, I don't remember what it was, but it was an amazing word. And I went home that night, and I couldn't sleep. I was thinking, I rock. I'm amazing. I was like, Lord, I know why you put me on the planet. You're so lucky to have me. You know, just like, you know, I'm being funny, of course. But I was feeling really good. You know, I couldn't sleep. You know, my mind was just thinking about, you know, the prophetic words and the message. And I was, I was like so excited, like everything went really well. And you know, I'd actually been preparing for two or three weeks because Bill told me I was going to speak on Sunday night. I was like, oh, it's so good when something goes right, isn't it? 
And so, okay. <laughs> you better say yeah, because the Lord can make sure it doesn't go right if you don't think that's what needs to happen. So I'm, I'm laying there and I'm thinking about, I'm really thinking about, man, I am amazing. Thank you, Lord, that you've made me so amazing. I actually feel good about tonight. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord says to me, that's a great word you gave that lady. That's a great word you gave that lady. And I go, oh! And I went from like, I'm amazing to, I wish I'd, I'll never prophesy again. I don't ever want to preach again. And I said to the Lord, Lord, did I give her that word or did you? And he goes, he's laughing and he goes, no, you did. Oh, I could not believe it. I'm like, Lord, I am so sorry. I guess I got so, I got on a roll. I guess I just wanted to make her feel, I'm so sorry, Lord, I'm so sorry. And he goes, don't worry, I'll take care of it. He says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And I thought he meant that he's going to kill her. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to kill this lady just because I made a mistake. So I say to the Lord, Lord, how are you going to take care of it? He goes, oh, I'll just make it happen. And listen to this. This is a true story. I've never told the story until three years ago. He said, he, he said, I'll just make it happen. And then he said this to me. What kind of friend would I be if we only did what I wanted to do? What, wait, let me finish. I never told anybody. Not even my wife, because I figured she'd tell Pastor Bill and I'd be in trouble. I never told anyone. For eight years, I never told a soul that the Lord that I had that encounter. Because, you know, I believe in judging prophetic words, and I, I want to be clear. Like, I don't believe you just go out and share whatever, and God just fixes it. And this happened one time in my life, right? But I figured, I got away with it. Get her done. <laughs> well, one day, I'm reading the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, and it says this, And Samuel... And, and God was with Samuel and let none of his words fall to the ground. And I never noticed before that the word his is not capitalized. I, I'm like, oh, wait a second. God was with Samuel and not, let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Now, okay, from here on, this is my opinion. Everybody say, this is Chris's opinion. That means I can say anything and you can't say I'm a heretic because I said it's my opinion, right? How many places did Jesus have to be from? Did you ever notice how many places Jesus had to be from? And it says, and did you notice if you read through all the places that the prophets prophesied Jesus was from, did you notice that some of them say at the word of the Lord and some of them say at the word of Jeremiah? This is just my own, this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. I just had this thought one day. I wonder if the prophets got so excited that they're like, he's from Galilee. No, 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 he's from Nazareth. No, no, and the Lord's all, oh, guys, please stop prophesying. And did you notice that what the angel did with Joseph? He moved him around. He says, well, the prophet so-and-so said he had to be from Nazareth, so you've got to go to Nazareth. And so-and-so prophesied he had to be from Galilee, so you got to go from Galilee. 
Have you ever noticed that? I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm simply saying, wouldn't it be funny if it is? Okay, so we should probably move out of that mode. And all the theological teacher people are like, oh my goodness, what is he doing to the Word of God? So, uh, I want to make it clear, like I'm not saying just prophesy anything, God will take care of it. I'm just saying that we're learning how to be friends with God. God cares what you think. How many know 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, applies to God before it ever applied to you? That 1 Corinthians 13 is describing the love that was God's before He ever gave it to you. Yes? No? You're writing it down. Very good. That's good. I'm praying it gets on your heart. Listen to this. This is love. Love is not. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in the righteous. Rejoice with truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. How many know that love does not seek its own? How many know that God just does? You know, have you ever had a friend? That every time you're with them, you have to do what they want to do? God's not like that. God wants to so renew your mind, He can do your will. That's why Jesus said in John 15, Ask whatever you will, and it will be done for my Father who's in heaven. Okay, sounds good. I like that. Okay, so uh, this is a good word. So you have the mind of Christ. You've been raised from the dead. You're seated in heavenly places. That's probably, we should probably stop there and do questions and answers. By now you're like totally over-informed and undereducated. So why don't we see if we can move from informed to transformed here. You know how do you get stuff from here to here? Through trials. Now you think trials is a bad word. Trials means you tried it out. You didn't get all that, did you? How do you get stuff from your head into your heart? Through trials. You try it out. And as you try it out, as you go through trials, consider it all joy when you counter various trials. And what? how many of you know that that trials do not test your character, contrary to popular opinion. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, not your character, testing of your faith. How many know trials test your faith? I'm going through trials so I can get better character. No, you got righteous by faith. If you can do it, it's called self-righteousness. So your righteousness comes from Him. It's inherited. You are inherently good. You know why you don't want to do bad? Because he took out the evil heart and gave you a good one. You know why you don't want to think bad thoughts? Because he gave you a new mind. So anytime you're thinking bad thoughts or doing something wrong, you're acting outside of your nature. Well, I don't believe that. That's why you struggle with sin. 
because you don't believe that. And how did you get righteous? By faith. You believed, you received, you got righteous. I don't believe I'm a saint. That's why you act like a sinner. Because you empower whatever you believe. 